One author recently wrote, You may think you're getting the short end of the stick, but when it's all said and done, God will make sure that you don't lose anything truly valuable. Moreover, he'll make sure you get your just reward. Your responsibility is to remain calm and peaceable, even when those around you are not. God is so much more in store for you too. Start making room for it in your thinking. Conceive it on the inside. Start seeing yourself rising to a new level, doing something of significance, living in that home of your dreams. If you want to see God's far and beyond favor, well, then you must replace those old wineskins. When it's all said and done, he wrote, God will make sure that you don't lose anything truly valuable. Friend, while I won't mention this particular author by name, I don't think that Peter would agree. I don't think that in our time together in considering 1 Peter and the call to suffer for the sake of Christ, that one would be able to agree with that statement that the Lord would never allow you to lose something truly valuable. How could you look at a, at a mother in her eyes and say such a thing to her when she holds her lifeless baby in her lap? How could you look at the eyes of a couple when their marriage is completely falling apart and say to them, God would never allow you to lose something valuable? How could you look at our persecuted brothers and sisters throughout this world whom have lost home and loved ones friends and families for the sake of Jesus Christ and tell them that God would never allow you to lose anything valuable. That all you need to do is to think bigger things. To convince yourself that, that you will have the best days ahead of you. Start seeing yourself rising to a new level, doing something of significance? How would one who is suffering for the sake of Christ, losing their jobs, losing their livelihood because they want to follow Jesus, how would they hear that exhortation to start replacing those old wineskins of thinking? Frankly, friends, this kind of thing, as I read through it yesterday, I felt, man, I hear this all the time. Uh, the reason I don't want to mention this particular author is because I feel that most of us would be surprised by who wrote it. In fact, if I hadn't led you along, you, you probably were affirming it a bit. You were giving a, a proverbial head nod. Yeah, that sounds right. Because you see, to Americans, that is exactly what we think Christianity is all about. We've been convinced 
for the last century and a half that Christianity is about you coming into a better you. Living in a sort of prosperity. Having financial success. Uh, social success. But the reality is, is that does not, nor will it ever, line up with God's word. As we heard from Nathan earlier in Matthew chapter 5, and those famous words of our Lord from the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are those who suffer for righteousness' sake. Friends, you ain't going to hear that on TV. At least not the way the Lord intended you to understand what that meant. And so as Christians, what does it mean that we are blessed? Well, what does it mean when, when we're going to read here in a moment that if you suffer for the sake of Christ, you are blessed? What does that even look like in our lives? Do we even have a category for pain and blessing going together? Do we have a category in our lives that, that maybe God has invited us to suffer for His sake and there understand that we are blessed? What is the truly blessed life? What's the true prosperous life that the Bible has invited us to participate in. Friends, that's what we want to think about together today in God's Word. I invite you to turn to 1 Peter in chapter 4. 1 Peter in chapter 4, uh, page 1016, if you're using one of the Black Pew Bibles. And we're going to be in verses 12 through 19 in our time this morning. Hear the word of the Lord. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. But let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. From the very beginning of our letter that we have considered over the last few months, Peter has uh, clearly identified, I, I hope you've seen it, that he is writing to Christians who are suffering for the sake of Christianity. We've seen that, that he's exhorted them because they're in the midst of suffering. But as I have also argued, that he is writing to those who have yet to suffer. 
those whom have yet. And so as he's writing to these churches across Asia Minor, across modern-day Turkey, as he's writing to them, he's telling them, listen, if you're suffering, this is what you need to do. And if you're a, and also, you're about to suffer, this is what you need to do. So he's sort of writing to both groups, and he says, in this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So Peter is writing to Christians who are facing trials, who are being persecuted for following Christ. And it seems that he is writing to a people whom he is preparing to suffer. Those whom are suffering and those who will suffer. And he gives them this exhortation, do not quit, do not give up. It may be painful, it it may be difficult, but let me give you the tools necessary to suffer well for God's glory. And so last week we considered that in light of the Lord's imminent return, Christians are to pursue a godly life. That, That suffering is not a time to excuse godliness. Suffering is not a time for you and I just to say, hey, you know what, Uh, the Lord's coming, you know, I could just kind of do whatever I want. No, no, all the more because the Lord's return is at hand, meaning that the Lord Jesus could return at any moment. Our lives are to be marked with a palpable desire to grow in godliness. We want to grow and be like Christ lest we be found piddling around and doing things that the Lord has not assigned us to do. And so Christians are to live according to God's will. We, that, that sort of overarching thing. So if you have your Bibles open, just turn your eyes a bit to chapter 3 and verse 17. Same page. Chapter 3 and verse 17, there at the top, look at what he says in verse 17. For it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will. And then later, down in verse 2 of chapter 4, he continues, So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Christians live for God's will. Whether they suffer for it or whether they see peaceable times, God's people live according to God's will. And so shifting his theme, if you will, back to this theme of suffering, particularly suffering for the sake of Christianity, uh, we want to think about how God has invited us to suffer as Christians. So the point of this passage, uh, summarized in this way, according to God's eternal purposes, as a Christian, you will suffer persecution to various degrees. You must, therefore, prepare yourself now to endure suffering. So this morning, you may be someone who has faced persecution for being a Christian. That may have looked in various ways. Maybe you grew up in a country uh, that Christianity was was not free uh, to worship. Perhaps you grew up in a, a home for which Christianity was not permitted or allowed. Perhaps you grew up in a neighborhood or a part of a community for which was not Christian and following Christ looked weird or strange. Perhaps this morning you're one who is currently 
facing some persecution from friend, from a family member, from a neighbor, or, or made generally from society today as our culture moves progressively in secular thinking, Christians will increasingly be pushed away from the center. So I am not optimistic, as you've often heard me, that we are becoming more Christ-like as a country, but rather very pessimistic. I don't put my hope in, in who's in Washington and in, in the kind of, although I do desire for God to raise up godly people in Washington to, to make just rules and just law. But we understand that as Christians living even in secular America, that we will face persecution. So you may have, you might are, or you might will. And, and this morning, what I want you to do is maybe this morning you're like, man, I, I don't face persecution at all. My, my, my family's all Christian. You know, my neighbors are all Christian. You know, there's not a whole lot of persecution. Okay, that's good. Praise God for that. Praise God for his faithfulness. But what we want to do this morning is prepare you prepare you for suffering, uh, to equip the saints, if you will, to suffer well for God's glory. If you look in your Bibles here in verses 12 through 19, you will have noticed that Peter was shifting back and forth uh, from do not do this to do this, right? So in verse 12, uh, don't be surprised, uh, verse 13, but rejoice, uh, verse 14, if you're insulted, you're blessed, so positive. Verse 15, but, but none of you suffer as a murderer negatively. So, so he's kind of going back and forth saying, do this, don't do that. Don't do that, do this. And so to kind of help us think, and, and, and I don't want to do that, um, I want to kind of consider first three negative qualities to avoid in suffering, and then we'll consider three positive ways to act in suffering. So first, three negative qualities to avoid in suffering. Three sort of things that you and I should avoid in the midst of suffering or in preparation for suffering. Look with me first, do not be surprised. Don't be surprised, verse 12. Look at what Peter writes, beloved. Don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. Don't be shocked by it. Don't be appalled by it. Don't be confused by it. Sadly, many Christians, I feel, it doesn't take long to scroll through maybe Facebook or, or other social media or, or, or just to have a passing conversation about suffering, that Christians are often confused and surprised by suffering. Much of that comes from their wrong view about this world, thinking that this world is safe, that this world is peaceable. And this is what John wrote in 1 John 3.13. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. So is your view of the world like that of the apostles? Don't be surprised when difficulty comes, when trial comes. The world hates you. It's so funny to watch Christians try to fit in this world. There ain't no, no amount of things you're going to be able to do in your life except for to stop following Jesus for this world to love you. 
And even if you did that, the world's going to say, look, you see, it's exactly what we thought you were like, a, a hypocrite. Friends, don't be surprised, Peter says, because suffering is inevitable. Suffering is inevitable. This world is not only broken, but it is desperately broken. It is fallen. This world is filled with sin. And as Christians, we should not be surprised when we see and hear about persecution. We should not be shocked and appalled when we hear about some of the things that occur even in our own communities. It doesn't mean we celebrate them. That doesn't mean we're, wow, you know, I saw that coming. Sort of casual or callous. No, but we, we're not surprised. We're not shocked when difficulty comes. Uh, we understand that suffering is inevitable. This is why Peter wrote to them earlier, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Of all the people that Peter would write and minister to, these particular churches should not have been surprised by trial and by difficulty. Because it's inevitable. And notice also what he says in verse 12. We should not be surprised because suffering is normal. He says to him, don't be surprised when trial comes upon you as though something strange were happening to you. You know, sometimes we kind of get a wrong view of what's right and what's wrong, what's normal and what's abnormal. It is normative to suffer. It's normal. It's not only inevitable, it should be expected. It's not strange or weird that Christians suffer. The Lord Jesus warned his disciples from the very beginning. Listen, this is what it's going to be like. This is what you're signing up for. You are signing up to suffer. You are signing up. And so he writes, as we heard earlier, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my accounts. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Peter, or excuse me, the Lord grounds his exhortation in, the, in history. He says, listen, this has been going on since the fall of man, and it's going to continue to go on. And all you're doing when you follow Jesus is enter into the sort of heritage, the, the descendants who come before you, who suffered. One of the things as Christians that would do us well is to read a little bit of church history outside of America to understand that sinners have persecuted saints for generation after generation. And so we're not surprised when it comes. We're we're not shocked by it. We expect it. So I wonder this morning, are you surprised when difficulty comes, when trial comes in your life? 
Are you shocked when, when someone will insult you for saying, no, I'm not going to participate in that sin? No, I'm not going to participate in your sin. I, I'm not going to you know, throw a, a, a party because you uh, want to you know, marry a, a same-sex partner, for example. Christians in our own community losing their jobs because they're refusing to participate in inclusive celebrations in their workplaces. Are you surprised when you hear the Supreme Court passing down some of the the decisions that they've made concerning uh, religious liberty in America? Particularly forcing uh, Christians in their workplaces to think and do certain things because the culture at large wants you to do them. Friends, we should not be surprised by persecution. Second, second negative quality that he lists here in verse 15, don't be evil. Don't be evil. And you might find this strange that, that Peter would include this here in verse 15. Uh, verse 15, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler. He says, don't, don't suffer for evil. As I read earlier in verse 17, for it's better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. He says, listen, don't, don't, be, don't be out there doing evil things and then suffering for that, and then sort of claiming that that's Christian suffering. Some Christians suffer because they're stupid, and they say stupid things, and they do dumb things. That's not suffering. That's just you being a a fool. And so Peter's saying, listen, don't be around suffering as a murderer, and kind of saying, man, poor me, you know, I'm locked up for life, and uh, man, you know, Poor pitiful me, this is, this is the cross I bear. This is, this is what it means to follow Jesus. Peter reminds them in verses 17 through 18 why they should not suffer for doing evil because of the fate of unbelievers. He, he uses a sort of lesser than greater. He says in verse 17, for if judgment for it's time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? It's like, if it's going to be bad for us, how bad is it going to be for them? As Christians, we understand that judgment is coming for us. Not condemnation. So to be clear, the Lord says that there is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ. But there is an assessment coming There is a time coming when you will stand before the Lord and be judged. Be judged for how you participate in this fallen and sinful world. And so Peter puts that before us this morning and says, listen, don't be about evil things. In verse 18, he quotes from Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 31. If the righteous is repaid on earth, how much more the wicked and the sinner? That is, if the righteous is saved with difficulty, with pain, with suffering, how much more the wicked and the sinner? Again, he's reminding us of the fate of unbelievers and why we should not be willing participants in evil. This again goes back to what I mentioned earlier. 
In suffering, you will be tempted to join in with those who persecute you. You will be tempted to think that if I only participate in this, then the, then the pain of suffering will diminish. That if I just kind of go along with my friends in their sin, then, then I won't face the kind of suffering that is coming for me. That if I don't stand up for the truth, you just kind of be quiet and hang out. There's a temptation, is there not? Not to stand strong in our convictions. So Peter says, don't suffer for being evil. And then thirdly, in verse 16, don't be ashamed. Look with me at verse 16. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. Peter identifies the the reason for suffering, doesn't he? As a Christian. This is one of the only other mentions of the word Christian uh, in the New Testament outside of the book of Acts. There's two in the book of Acts and, and one here. Of course, we use that title freely. We are Christians. It just means we are Christ followers. We are followers of Christ, the followers of the way. And Peter has in mind here in verse 16, those who are suffering as Christians. And he says, listen, don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed when others insult you. Don't be ashamed when others ridicule you for the name of Christ. Don't be ashamed when others say, you know what, I don't think I can be friends with you anymore. Don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed to be identified with your Savior. Suffering doesn't mean you did something wrong. So, so if we're not suffering for doing evil in verse 15, and we're suffering for righteousness' sake, then when we suffer, we are not suffering because we did something wrong. This is what Peter told us earlier in chapter 2 and verse 12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak evil against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. He says, don't be ashamed when they speak evil against you. Don't be ashamed when they ridicule you. You didn't do anything wrong. Suffering is not meant to bring shame, but look what he says in verse 16. It is meant to glorify God. But let, but let him glorify God in that name. Literally, because you are a participant in that name, let you glorify God. It is a great honor to suffer for the name of Christ. I just encourage you to read some of our, our forefathers in the Reformation. When they were suffering persecution, when they were literally being burned alive because they were following Christ, they just found it as an honor that the Lord would find them worthy to suffer. Is this not the example of Peter himself? You'll remember in Acts chapter 5, Peter went before the Jerusalem council, the Sanhedrin, the ruling leaders there, 
because of some things that him and the other apostles were doing, because they were preaching the name of Christ. And Luke tells us in chapter 5 and verse 40, he says, And when they had called in the apostles, that is the, the ruling, ruling religious leaders there, when they called in the apostles, they beat them. And they charged them, do not speak in the name of Jesus in that name. Don't speak in that name. Don't, don't, don't speak on behalf of that man. And they let them go. Then the apostles left the presence of the council, and listen, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Do you not think that when Peter penned these words under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, that he did not do that with a little tear, knowing what he had faced and what he was encouraging them? You are not hearing from a man who is sitting in a comfortable office who had never faced any form of persecution, any form of ridicule. You are hearing from a man who was crucified upside down for following his Savior. A man who said, I don't want to suffer the same way my Savior suffered. Do, do, do me upside down. Kill me upside down. For I'm not worthy to suffer the way he Suffered. Brothers and sisters, we have been called to suffer. And so we are not to be surprised by it. We, we are not to be shocked when it comes. We're, we're not to be participants in evil, doing evil things. And we are not to be ashamed. And so as we think about these negatives, let's now think about quickly three positive ways to act in suffering. Now that I have you all down and depressed and sad, uh, let, let there be joy, let there be light in our souls. First, first positive way to act in suffering, rejoice, rejoice in suffering. Verse 13 Peter here contrasts the surprise. Don't be surprised. Don't be, don't be shocked. Verse 13. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. Rejoice in suffering because suffering unites you to Jesus Christ. When we suffer like Christ, when we suffer for the name of Christ, we are most identified with Him. If we would just read more about the life of our Savior, He did not have a life of comfortability, of ease, of kicking back in the, in the recliner after a hard day's work. Foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to sleep. I got nowhere. I, I don't have a mansion. I don't have, you know, Rolls Royce. I don't have all these things. And neither will you. Neither will you. When we suffer, we are rejoicing, not because we don't experience pain. It's not because we're kind of numbing ourselves or, or we're just crazy people. No, we rejoice because we, as the apostles, were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Christ. 
Christ also suffered, Peter wrote, once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous. Christ Jesus' life was a life of suffering. Hebrews 2.18, for because he himself has suffered when tempted. The Lord Jesus' life was a life of suffering. And when we suffer for the name of Christ, we are identified with our Savior. In verse 14, he writes, if you are insulted for the name of Christ. Peter uses here a lone word from Matthew. From Matthew chapter 27 and verse 44. And the robbers who were crucified with him also insulted him in the same way. When you are insulted, you are most like Jesus. Who was insulted, who was ridiculed, who was laughed at, who was derided and pushed away. Brothers and sisters, we rejoice in suffering because we are united with Christ Jesus And if we do not suffer for the sake of Christ, perhaps we are not united with Him. Peter goes on in verse 13 to say, Rejoice in suffering because present joy hopes in future rejoicing. Again, Peter casts all of this in light of eternity. Look at verse 14, 13, 13. Again, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings so that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. When the Lord comes again, it will be a day of rejoicing. Not what we sing. It will be a day of rejoicing for the King has come to do what? To give us victory over our enemies. To crush the head of that evil serpent eternally. And there's a day of rejoicing. And so we rejoice in suffering today. Because we're kind of banking on future joy that is coming. We rejoice that one day the Lord will return. So Peter began the letter by saying, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. It's joy that I I don't even have the words to describe, Peter says. Let me just cobble together some, some words to try to express the kind of happiness, the kind of joy, the kind of expression well, that is inexpressible. That human words fail to articulate the kind of joy we will have at the Lord's return. That is why we rejoice in present suffering. Second positive Verse 14, endure suffering. Endure suffering. It says, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Peter says, listen, you should endure suffering because suffering is a blessing from God, not a curse. We've already seen this. I've highlighted this. We often wrongly think that suffering is a curse from God, not a blessing from God. The reason why the the New Testament writers, the reason why the writers of, of Scripture, Moses and the prophets, the reason why they often talk about suffering 
as a blessing is because suffering is a tool used by God to break away sin. A a tool used by God to refine sinners. This is what Peter says here in verse 12. Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal or the fiery trial. He's borrowing language there from Proverbs 27 where it talks about how the righteous are refined through suffering. When you're suffering for the sake of Christ, it it has has a refining effect upon you. It causes you to think, do I really want to follow this man? I'm good following Jesus. I'm happy to follow Jesus in times of prosperity, in times of happiness, in times of of success at at work and at home. Isn't it clarifying? Doesn't it give you a resolve? Those who are truly saved are those who endure. They're the ones who look to a reward that is greater than their present suffering. This is what Peter then goes on to say in the second half of verse 14. Rejoice and endure suffering because God's Spirit continues with you. When we suffer as a Christian, it is evidence that we're following Christ. It gives us a sort of bearing, a a reminder. It kind of pulls the compass out of our pocket and says, yeah, I'm going in the right direction. It's when things are easy, when things are going really well, that we should be surprised. Like, wow, am I going in the right way? Am I going in the right direction? Endure suffering because the Spirit of God is with you. Finally, third Verse 19, trust God by doing good. Trust God by doing good. Consider, he says, God's purposes in suffering is to refine you. Remember that. Remind yourself of that. Commit that to heart. Consider it all joy, James says, my brothers, when, tr- when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Twenty years ago, I was caught up following that teacher that I began with. That prosperity gospel preacher, I was caught up in his teaching and thinking. I thought that way about life and about this world. And you know what awakened me from that lie? It was James chapter 1 and verse 2. Consider it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. I could not reconcile the world that man was living in with this verse. I could not reconcile the the Word of God saying that I would face difficulty and trial and have prosperity and success and wealth, new cars, big houses. For me, that man must be lying. Because the Lord said this. 
And so commit your soul to the faithful Creator. Isn't this a fitting way to end this section? Therefore, let let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their soul to, to whom? Does Peter write? A faithful Creator. A creator uh, meaning a sovereign Lord, a sovereign God. If He's creator, He's in control. And He's faithful. He's faithful. In temptation, in trial, and difficulty, we're tempted to doubt God's faithfulness. Are we not? We're tempted to doubt whether or not God's really Sovereign, really in control. Is, is he really ruling this place or is someone else ruling the roost? You know, it is in trial and suffering and difficulty that we not only have clarity to endure, but clarity in whom we trust. In suffering, Christians rejoice because they are united with Christ. Christians endure suffering because they are blessed. And they, in, they continue to trust God by doing good. Brothers and sisters, may we give ourselves to these things for His glory and our good. Let's pray. Gracious Father in heaven, we give praise to You. And we count it an honor. That you would consider us worthy to suffer for your name. To be counted among our Savior Jesus Christ. To live a life that he lived. A life of suffering. We're reminded here that we don't have to do it perfectly. But the Savior has, has died the perfect death for us. We trust in Christ today. We pray for these dear saints that you would give them the strength to endure. For your glory. And for our good, we pray this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.